following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. The uh, poet Susie Kasem uh, wrote, and I'm going to condense this a little bit, uh, but she said, Fear the vulture, and the vulture will come. Doubt kills more dreams than failure ever will. Now listen to that one more time. Fear the vulture and the vulture will come. Doubt kills more dreams than failure ever will. And, and the point of, of what she's saying here, she's not a believer by anything that I know of. I don't think she has the Lord in mind here. But the point she's making is this. Doubt and fear will often stop us before even trying to start something new. Very often, we don't even get to the point of failure because we're too scared, we're too worried, we're too uncertain to start something new. We've all experienced that, haven't we? Maybe you've had this great business idea, but you weren't sure how you were going to be able to work it financially. And over time, over years, that idea just kind of fades to the background. Maybe you wanted to continue your education or get a, a, a degree or something like that. And you, you, you thought, this is a great idea, but I don't know how it's going to work with my schedule. I'm just, I, I'm afraid that it's going to be a problem. And so you just let that dream kind of die. Maybe you had some audacious physical challenge, something that you've never done in your life. You're like, I really want to try to do this. And then you started thinking about it. You're like, this is going to hurt. This is going to be difficult and you just shy away from it. Maybe you have a ministry to a specific person that God has laid on your heart. You're like, I need to go talk to that person. I need to invite them to church. I need to share the gospel with them. I need to. But what if they don't respond well? Oh, what if I upset them? What if they don't like what I have to say? And you kind of fight against the Holy Spirit long enough until the Holy Spirit just leaves you alone about that person. And we all know how that works. We can allow fear and doubt to stop us from things before we even start. Well, in today's passage, we're going to be looking at Jesus being baptized by John. When we come to this passage and when we start talking about this passage, it's really easy for us to zero in on the fact that Jesus is being baptized and spend the whole time talking about baptism and what baptism means and, and how we should be baptized and all that. Um, but the problem is that's not the point of the passage. That's not the point of this passage. Now, if I was going to teach or do a message on baptism, we would come to this passage because there's so much to learn about it from this passage. But that's not the point of what is happening here. The focus of this narrative, the central idea, is the inauguration, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus comes to this, and at this point, he knows what he's going to endure, right? Jesus doesn't walk through his earthly ministry and get to the cross and be like, oh, I did not know this was where I was going to end up. <laughs> no, he knows what he's going to endure. He knows what he's going to suffer. He knows what he's going to go through. He knows all of this, and yet he submits to the Father. He submits to the Father under the power of the Spirit out of love for you and me. And in doing so, today he begins this ministry. And he will fulfill his mission 
and his joy will be made complete. In spite of knowing what lies ahead of him. And so the question we should ask ourselves in this passage is this. Does our faithful submission to God lead us to do the same as what Jesus does? Does our faithful submission to God lead us to say, this is what I'm supposed to do? So even though it's scary and it's difficult, I'm still going to take the next step. Again, Jesus' baptism teaches us how we can know the joy and the meaning of submission. And it teaches us that we can know this joy and meaning of submission to the calling of God if, from the very beginning, we follow the model. We see this in verse 13. We follow the model. This passage begins with just this one verse. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. Okay, real quick. Jesus, he's, he's coming to John. Why? To be baptized, right? It says it right here. He came to John to be baptized by him. But remember, we talked about John and we talked about his baptism. Do you remember what we said the purpose of John's baptism was? We said it was Repentance. What was John's call? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent. That's what John's calling people to do. When the people responded to John, they are repenting of their sins, turning away from their sinful selfishness, and turning back to the Lord. Why does Jesus need John's baptism? Does he need to repent of his sin? Please, everything within you say no. <laughs> No, he doesn't. So why be baptized by John? Jesus does this as a display of his divine mission. He is expressing his divinely appointed mission. See, Jesus' baptism is first and foremost an act of submission to his Father. It's a declaration that he is prepared to do what God has sent him to do. And what has God sent him to do? Sent him to take our place. And so to do that, Jesus first identifies with us. Through his baptism, he is identifying with a sinful people who need to repent before he goes on to provide the sacrifice that's necessary to make that repentance meaningful. Right, so Jesus does not need to repent. He doesn't need to be baptized. But he says, I'm coming to take your place. And because you need to be baptized, I'm going to be baptized. I'm going to identify with you in this. And then I will take your place on the cross. In other words, Jesus submits and sacrifices for God's kingdom and for God's people. That's the point of his baptism. In this church... We have some absolutely incredible little kids. I love the little kids in this church. One of my favorite things is, especially after church, when the kids are running around the entryway, just because I get to play with them while you guys are all talking. 
And I need to kind of go up and I need to kind of get down, crouch down. And the thing I love is that when I'm crouched down like this, I can be as goofy as I want to be, and there's no judgment whatsoever from the kids. Like, if I make weird faces at you, you're like, what's wrong with you? Right, but you make goofy faces at them, they're just going to laugh, they're going to enjoy it. But it all starts with this. It all starts with this. The crouch down. To get on their level. Because when I'm on their level, they're not looking up at me as that guy up there who's making some weird faces at me. They can identify because they can look me in the eye. In Jesus' baptism, he comes down to our level. He comes to our level and he identifies with us in his humble service to the Father. This is a constant in Jesus' ministry. We see it throughout the Gospels. In John chapter 13, verse 2 and 5, 2 through 5, remember the last, the last Supper, it says, um, starting in verse 2, Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and dry them with the towel he had tied around them. Now, if you've heard this, there's so much detail we could go in and teaching about this passage, but you remember the washing of feet was done by the lowliest of servants. Not the king, not the deliverer, not the redeemer, the lowly servant, the one below the one whose feet are being washed. And what does Jesus do? He comes. He kneels down. And he washes the feet. He lowers himself. Even below their level. We see a similar thing in later that night, Luke 22, verse 42. And remember, Jesus is in the garden. He's praying, he's shedding tears of blood because he knows the pain and the suffering he's about to endure. And what does he say? Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is God. Jesus can leave the situation anytime he wants. I guarantee you, if any one of us is in that position, okay, I'll take it back. I guarantee you if I'm in that position, I'm going to struggle to, to pray, okay, God, let's do this. But Jesus has lowered himself. Why? To fulfill God's calling for the sake of God's people. See, we are called to follow the model. We are called to follow Jesus, not just in baptism, although we are called to follow Jesus in baptism. That's a conversation and a sermon for another day. But we are called to follow him in submissive service to God the Father for the sake of others. Right? That doesn't mean we put ourselves above others, like, I'm so much better than everybody else, I have to come down to their level so that I can serve them. No. But we remember, I, I've shared with you many times, one of, the, one of the definitions of humility I love is C.S. Lewis, who says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. 
See, we find joy and meaning and purpose in our work when we follow the example of Jesus. When our work is not about our accomplishments, when our mission is not about what we can do, what we can achieve, but it is about meeting the needs of others. When it's not about me, it's about you. But that will only ever happen when we are willing to set ourselves aside. When we are willing to come down to the level of others to meet their needs. Are we willing to come down to the level of others? And that's an easy thing when we go, oh, my kids. Yeah, I'm willing to come down to the level of my kids. Yeah, I'm willing to come down to the level of my family. Yeah, I'm willing to come down to the level of my church. Okay, good. Now are we willing to come down to the level of the drug, drug addict? Are we willing to come down to the level of the pedophile? Are we willing to come down to the level of the gossip? Are we willing to come down to the level of the person who hurts us? Are we willing to come down to the level of the Democrat? Are we willing to come down to the level of the Republican? Are we willing to come down to the level of whoever our preferences, our desires, our thoughts say, that's the worst? If we're going to follow the model, if we're going to know the joy of the mission that God has given us, we must be willing not to think less of ourselves, but to think of ourselves less. So we follow Jesus' example. We get to what end? Well, Jesus shows us more about his example and how we can know the joy and the meaning of submissive kingdom service when we go on to verse 14 and 15. It says, we know this joy and this meaning when we fulfill our purpose. We follow the example so we can fulfill our purpose. Verse 14 and 15. And remember, Jesus has just come to John. John's been preaching repentance and baptizing people for the repentance of sin. And Jesus comes to John to be baptized. And then in verse 14 it says, But John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And yet you come to me. Jesus answered him, Allow it for now. Because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptized. We fulfill our purpose. John here is, is taken aback by this request. John knows who Jesus is. I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning. John knew this in the womb. Right? When John's mother and Jesus' mother meet, John starts weeping in his mother's womb. This is John's cousin. He knows. He knows that this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as he says in John 1.36. And he knows that Jesus is the authority figure in their relationship. And yet Jesus comes demanding to be baptized by John. John's pushes back on this a little bit, understandably. But Jesus asked John, he said, whoa, 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 listen. I know you know who I am. But I need you to allow this 
so that we might fulfill all righteousness. Okay, that's a kind of a, a, a weird phrase to be thrown in there, right? Because if you don't know what he's talking about, you just read that on the surface, you're like, well, how, how, how does Jesus being baptized for repentance fulfill all righteousness? What even is righteousness? That's a great question. If we look through Matthew's gospel, we see what is this righteousness that he talks about. If you want to simplify it, if you want to give the, the, the most basic definition of what righteousness is, we can say that it's doing the will of God. In fact, as you read all of Matthew, we'll see this come up over and over again. This righteousness is doing the will of God. So doing the will of God, that means doing all the right stuff, right? If I just do all the right stuff, I'm fulfilling all righteousness? Nope. No. Because fulfilling all righteousness, doing the will of God, is not just about obedience to the law. It's about obedience to for the love of the lawgiver. Right? This is an important distinction. It's not just about doing what you're supposed to do. It's what we do out of love for God, who has loved us and saved us. That's why when you get into the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to get into this later, and Jesus starts teaching in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 48, you get this whole series of, you have heard it said, Right? You've heard it said, don't murder. So if you don't murder anybody, you kept the law, you obeyed the law. That's good enough, right? No. Jesus says, you heard it said, don't murder. But understand that if you have hatred in your heart, you have already murdered. He said, this is about how much you love the Lord, not just trying to keep the rule. He says, righteousness is not just about obeying the law. It's about obeying the law for the love of the law giver. In this baptism, when Jesus says this is right for us to fulfill all righteousness, he's declaring his submission to God's redemptive plan. Because to see, I'm making this known. This is not about what is comfortable for me or what is best for me. This is about my fulfillment of God's will to redeem his people. Jesus doesn't need to be baptized. But he identifies with our need. And he declares that God is meeting that need. When we talk about fulfilling our purpose, that there's an important distinction for us to make. Because when we talk about fulfilling our purpose, we're not talking about fulfilling the plans that we have for our lives, the desires that we have for our own lives. We're talking about fulfilling God's purposes, God's plans, God's mission for our lives. For us to fulfill all righteousness in our lives is to submit to God's will. And, and, and listen, I know sometimes God's going to call us to things that we love. Right? Sometimes God's calling in our life is our mission. Our life. We're like, this is awesome. I can't believe God called me. This is amazing. I love this. Right? If that happens to you, celebrate it. Enjoy it. That's an awesome thing. Be glad. But I can also promise you this. There will come a time, sooner or later, when our purposes, our preferences, our desires, 
our dreams, our hopes, our whatever, will come into conflict with God's will. I can guarantee it for every single one of us. I try not to make too many guarantees, but this is one I feel very comfortable making. Our purposes and desires will come into conflict with God's will. And the question becomes, what will we do then? Will we humble ourselves like Jesus? Or will we fight God's will like we see Peter doing? Matthew chapter 16. Remember what happens in Matthew chapter 16? Jesus asks his disciples, hey, who's everybody saying? And Peter goes, well, some people say you're a prophet. Some people say you're this, this. Well, hold on. But who do you guys say I am? And Peter, who's always got a great answer for everything, says, well, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. Jesus is like, yep, you got it. Good job. He figured it out. You remember what the very next scene is? You know what the very next verses tell us? Jesus and the disciples are walking down the road, and Jesus is like, hey guys, here's what's going to happen. We're going to Jerusalem so I can be murdered, so that I can be a sacrifice for the sins of my people. Peter, who's just said, you're the Messiah, you're God's chosen one, says, no, Jesus, we will never allow that to happen. I, I won't allow it. I know that's what you want, Jesus, but that doesn't fit my plan. That doesn't fit my purposes. I'm here so that we can bring power back to Israel. I'm here so that we can have authority again. And you're telling me you're going to die? Nope, not going to happen. And Jesus says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. He says, you have in your heart what is your desire, not mine. See, sometimes fulfilling all righteousness will be an easy thing for us. Sometimes it will not. And the question becomes, what will we do when our desires conflict with God's will? For us to fulfill all righteousness, to seek God's will above all else, will be difficult at times. For you, maybe it means turning down a promotion so that you can spend more time with your family. Maybe it will mean giving up a vacation so you can go on a missions trip. Maybe it will mean setting aside some complaining and self-righteousness so that we can be encouraging, uplifting, God-honoring influences in the lives of the people around us. I don't know what it's going to be for you. I don't know what it's going to be for me this week. But listen, if we can seek to fulfill all righteousness, to seek God's will above our desires and our preferences, then I promise you, you will find more joy in the discomfort than you ever could in the things that you sacrifice for that discomfort. Because if we are fulfilling God's will, everything will be better. Not that it'll be easier, not that it'll be more comfortable, but I promise you it will be better. That's because God is perfectly wise and good and loving, and that means that His plans for our lives are infinitely better than our plans for ourselves. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as the heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God says, I've got a better plan than you could ever come up with. 
Scheme the wildest dream for your life. I guarantee it doesn't touch what God wants to do. Not that it's going to be better by earthly standards, but I promise you, what God has in store for you is eternally better than anything you can come up with for this finite life. But we're all faced with the question of what are we willing to set aside? What is it that you and I are willing to set aside in order to fulfill God's righteousness in our lives? We finish this passage and see this call to follow the example and fulfill God's purpose. Fulfill the purpose for our lives. But in the last couple of verses here, we see that we're only able to do this. You and I will only ever be able to do this when we serve with power. It says 13 up there, it's 16 and 17. Verses 16 and 17. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We serve with power. Jesus' baptism, again, it reveals and expresses the divinity, not just of his ministry, but of his nature. The power of this ministry is evident in what happens immediately following his submission through baptism. It says, first off, the Holy Spirit descends and rests on him. This is a sign of what is about to unfold in his ministry. It really points us back to the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, it says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. If the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus, it says, Jesus is the one. He is the Messiah. And he will come with wisdom and understanding. When Jesus reads the, the scrolls in the temple, people look at me like, whoa, we've never heard anybody speak the scriptures like that. Right? His wisdom and understanding, the strength and knowledge and the fear of the Lord, the worship of the Lord that is pure in a way that you and I can never hope to purely worship him. So the Holy Spirit descends on him, empowers him, and sends him out for the rest of his ministry. And at the same time, we get God the Father declaring his pleasure over Jesus' submission. Right? This is my son. God's speaking and saying, this is the deliverer. This is the Messiah. This is the Savior that I promised you that I am delivering to you. The Holy Spirit descends. God the Father speaks. And Jesus begins his ministry. This is an amazing thing, isn't it? Like, can you imagine? Can you imagine being there? And like we read this and we're like, okay, yeah, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and God speaks, okay. Right, but can you imagine just being blown away by this picture? 
know what amazes me? Even more than that. But this power of this spirit and the voice of this God, the same power that enables us to do the ministry that God has set before us. Hold on a second. Think about that. Like, seriously, I look like I have a watch on, right? Let's take like 10 seconds and just think about that, that this spirit and this God empowers you and me to do the work of his kingdom. That is absolutely, utterly, and completely amazing, is it not? See, we serve, and as we serve, God speaks this same truth over us. This is my son, this is my daughter, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. And this same spirit empowers us. Listen, God has work for us to do. God has work for us as a church to do. And God has work for you as an individual to do. And all that work is well beyond our ability and our competency to accomplish. God is going to call us to work that we cannot do. But, but, by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in us and through us, we can accomplish what our flesh cannot. Now, some people take that and they'll twist it into this weird, like, you can do miraculous things and you too can walk on water and, okay, no. It's not what we're talking about. It's simply a reminder that the Holy Spirit of God wants to guide you, wants to equip you, wants to prepare you for ministries that are probably a little bit scary for you. He wants to set you on things that might feel a little too hard. And you and I will have to step out in faith. We'll have to speak up sometimes. We'll have to forgive sometimes. We'll have to do all kinds of Christ-like things that are beyond the abilities of our flesh to do on our own. Is that scary? Yes. Is that difficult? You betcha. Is it a blessing? Absolutely. Is it a joy? Undoubtedly. Listen, my encouragement to you today, as we think about this passage, Jesus' humble submission, his service, fulfilling his purpose, and the power with which he serves, the power with which we have been given to serve. My encouragement for you today would be this. Lean into that spirit. Lean into the Holy Spirit working and speaking into your life. Spend time praying that God would prepare your heart for the ministry that the Spirit wants to do. And and, and let me say this. Always start with asking God to prepare your heart. Don't ask God to prepare them for a ministry that God wants you to do. Ask God to prepare your heart so that you can faithfully fulfill the calling. Then we pray for God to make that soil fertile and ready for that ministry. 
But we start by asking God to prepare our heart. We pray for clarity in God's movement in our lives and around us. We pray for boldness to follow through on those acts of submissive service. When we do that, we will know the joy and the satisfaction of serving in His power. And of knowing that our success is not a matter of us getting the job done or getting it done right but of resting in God's spirit, in obedient, humble submission, and being satisfied in Christ's finished work. Because once again, this doesn't, this has nothing to do with us making our name great. This has nothing to do with us being fulfilled. It has to do with understanding and celebrating the truth of the gospel. That God loved us when we were so broken that he should have just kicked us to the curb and left us behind. But instead, he chose to continue to love us and to offer us forgiveness and redemption time and time and time again. And while we would accept for a moment, we would eventually run our own way. Until just the right time came and he sent his son, Jesus, to be born of a virgin in Bethlehem to live a perfect life, to die a sacrificial death in our place, to rise victoriously, defeating death and sin once and for all, to ascend to the right hand of the Father where he delivers us completely and utterly for all of eternity. It's not about you and me. It's about his glory. And he calls us to mission. He calls us to serve, not for our glory, but for his glory. And we'll only, only ever be able to do that when we serve in the power of his Holy Spirit in us, through us. Where are we seeking our power for the work that God has called us to? Where do we look? Is it to our abilities, our skills, our competency? Or is it to His Holy Spirit? So once again, the story of Jesus' baptism is about so much more than being dunked underwater. Well, that's the key narrative for our understanding of the church ordinance of baptism. It is more precisely a demonstration of the purpose and nature of Jesus and his ministry. As we understand how he is laying down the foundation of his divine nature and his divine purpose in serving the will of our Heavenly Father by the power of the Holy Spirit, we see how we too can grow and mature in our joy and the meaning of our faithful submission to the service of God's kingdom. And if we are to satisfy God's calling, then we must be willing to follow the model of Jesus' humble service. We must be ready to pursue faithful fulfillment of the purpose of God's calling in our lives. We must remember that we serve not by our own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives and in the church. Church family, may we be a body of believers who live lives of service to God's kingdom above all else, to others before ourselves, and to faithfulness to holiness instead of our preferences and desires. Let's point others to the love of Christ 
through the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts for the glory of our Heavenly Father. And as we do, I pray that we know the fullness of joy and hope that comes from submissive obedience to the all-sufficient will of our God and our King. Let's pray together. Father God, you are a great and awesome God. Your love, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, they are beyond our abilities to comprehend. And yet, in your goodness, you have chosen to make yourself known to us. And Lord, we know, we have come to know that not because we're smarter than the rest of the world. Not because we have a unique skill set. But we come to know that only when we humble ourselves before you. Acknowledging that we are incapable of making our way through this world. Of saving ourselves, of redeeming ourselves. But we need you. We need Jesus Christ to do what we cannot do. Father, we thank you that you have seen fit to make salvation available to us through Jesus' humble submission and faithful service to your kingdom. And we pray now that as we prepare for this day, this week, this month, whatever lies ahead of us, Lord, may you, may you put in our hearts over and over and over again the truth of the gospel. That our life, our walk as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, as your sons and daughters, a spirit-filled believers, it would never be about us. But it would always be about the fact that we know your grace is enough for us. Your love has been poured out over us. We have been redeemed and bought back from sin and death because of your love, your grace, and your mercy. And may the desire of our heart be to simply celebrate that and share that with the world around us that is in desperate need of a loving Savior. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. And in your great and awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.